This morning, I invite you to draw your sword, turn to the gospel according to Luke chapter 13. I'll begin reading at verse 22. I'll conclude at verse 30. Once you found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There'll be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west, north and south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. May God add his richest blessing to the reading, preaching, understanding, and obedience of his perfect word. You may be seated. For only the second time in Luke's gospel, the author tells us that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. The first occurrence is given to us in Luke chapter 9. It's there where we read that as the time for him to be taken up to heaven was approaching, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus was a man on a mission. There was purpose in his step. There was determination etched across his brow. Jesus was not going to be denied. He understood that he came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to set captives free. In order for that to happen, Jesus understood that he had to go up Calvary's hill. He would be executed in our place. He would die for our sins so that we might inherit his eternal life. Friend, that is ultimate freedom. Our ultimate freedom is not found in political prowess. Our ultimate freedom is not secured by military might. Our ultimate freedom is not made possible by financial prosperity. But our ultimate freedom is made possible solely because of the substitutionary death of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in him and him alone that we find freedom. As Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem to secure your freedom and mine, he was preaching. I'm sure that he was advocating a very high calling of commitment. I'm sure he was encouraging each and every person to come and follow him. The preaching ministry of Jesus is summarized in one statement. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This caused an inquisitive, anonymous bystander to ask a question. Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Now, this is a fascinating question. 
It's fascinating because in the first century, there was a widespread Jewish belief that all of Israel would be saved. Most Jewish people believed that they were going to heaven simply because they were born at the right place and in the right race. Because they were Jews, they had an automatic bid into heaven. But yet this inquisitive bystander had been listening to Jesus and Jesus never seemed to insinuate that just because you were Jewish, you were going to heaven. No, on one occasion, Jesus had a sermon where he compared people to soil. He said some people are like hard soil. The gospel of God just bounces right off of them. Other people are like shallow Palestinian dirt. They initially receive the gospel, but because they have no depth, it withers away and they do not persevere. Still other people, Jesus said, are kind of like thorny soil. They are individuals who receive the gospel, but they also receive everything else in life and they pursue fame and fortune and the pleasure of this world. And those are the things that seem to choke out the gospel in their life. Oh, but then there are other people, Jesus said, who are like good soil. They hear the gospel, they receive the word inside of them. It produces a bumper crop 30, 60, 100 times over. They just keep on reproducing followers of Christ. Now, if you listen closely, what Jesus is saying is about one out of four people get it. That's only 25%. That's a far cry from 100%, wouldn't you say? I mean, Jesus seemed to always advocate that the only way that any person could enter God's kingdom was by following him. So this inquisitive bystander has a fascinating question. He's been listening. He's been picking up what Jesus has been putting down. He's been understanding. He's been comprehending. Maybe this man was in the crowd that day when Jesus gave that sermon. Or maybe he had just been hanging around Jesus and, and somehow, some way, he began to formulate in his mind, wait a minute, Jesus is not saying what every other rabbi says. So, sir, are only a few people going to be saved? The response of Jesus is equally fascinating. Now, Jesus understands that salvation is a God gift. It's a grace gift. It's initiated by God. It's accomplished by God. And yet, Jesus says to this one, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Many will try and will not be able to. Make every effort. That word effort is the word work. It implies struggle and strain and, and, and it implies uh, an effort that is being done. It's being exerted upon your life. So, so work, make every effort. So what must we do to inherit eternal life? What, what must we do to gain entrance into God's kingdom? Jesus says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. In John's gospel, Jesus compares himself to the gate. He says, I am the gate. It can also be translated, I am the door. He who enters through me will be saved. At the end of the most famous sermon ever delivered by the greatest preacher to ever lived, it's recorded in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Jesus says at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, enter through the narrow gate. He compares all of life to two roads. And these two roads have two gates. 
There is the wide road with the wide gate. There's the narrow road with the narrow gate. Jesus says that many go through the wide gate and that leads to destruction, but only a few wiggle their way through the narrow gate and they find eternal life. What Jesus is saying to this bystander, he's saying to the crowd that day and this day, make every effort to enter through the narrow gate. It's not effort alone that gets you in. It's not hard work. It's not just grinning and bearing it. It's not just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. For if it was just hard work, then Jesus would have said, make any effort and every effort. But he says, many will try and not be able to get in. So apparently people make an effort at the wrong thing in order to get in. So some make an effort in good works. If I do more good than bad, then surely that will tip the scale in my favor and God will be obligated to let me into his kingdom. Or maybe it's church attendance. Or maybe it's just being a good old boy or a great old gal. Maybe it's just somebody who has a moral compass in their life. And that person gets into God's kingdom. Oh, but Jesus gives us insight to what he's talking about. Just a few verses earlier. Luke chapter 13, verse 5. Jesus says... Unless you repent, you too will perish. Oh, that's the key. That the effort, the work that you and I must do is that work of repentance. That unless you repent, you too will perish. Jesus, are only a few going to be saved? Yep, only a few are going to be saved. But every person who is saved is saved because of their explicit faith in Jesus Christ as demonstrated through their repentance of sin. Make every effort, Jesus says, to enter through that narrow gate. You and I are to repent of sin. This is very consistent with what the Apostle Paul will say in his Corinthian correspondence. When he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. That when the Spirit of God reveals sin in your life, the only appropriate response is grief. Godly grief. That when sin is revealed to you, when you, when you see it in its ugliness in your life, the only appropriate response is godly sorrow. It's not to slough it off. It's not to push it away. It's not to rationalize it. It's not to just dismiss it. It is to have godly grief. And that godly grief brings about repentance. And that repentance leads unto salvation. This is consistent with what Jesus is telling this inquisitive anonymous bystander in Luke chapter 13. That the only way you get in is through that repentance. The good news about the good news is this, that the door, even though it's narrow, is still wide open. Isn't that the good news about the good news? The good news about the good news is that the door is still wide open. So you can enter today. It's open for you. It's open for your daughter. It's open for your son. It's open for your grandchildren. It is open for your spouse. It is open for your coworkers. It's open for your teammates. It is open for your classmates. It is open for your neighbors. It is open for your closest friend. It is open for your vilest enemy. It is open for the most anonymous uh, individual that you don't know. It is open for anybody. The gospel is wide open. It's a narrow door, but that narrow door is is still wide open. And as long as it's wide open, anybody can enter through faith in Jesus Christ as demonstrated in repentance of sin 
Anybody can come through. But Jesus does give us a word of warning. There's a day coming when that door will be shut. That narrow door will be closed, never to be opened again. And Jesus says that at that moment there will be knocking and pleading and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Please open the door for us will be the request. And the owner of the house will reply, I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. Oh, you know us. We ate together. We drank together. We socialized together. We talked sometimes. You taught in our streets and we were in the crowd. You know who we are, Jesus. And the owner of the house will say, I don't know you. Apart from me, you workers of iniquity, you evildoers. Friend, are there more chilling words in the Bible than those? I don't know you. The word know means to recognize. It means to know personally, to know intimately. It means to have genuine experiences with. What Jesus is saying is there's coming a day when that door is going to be shut and those on the outside of that door will plead and say, let us in. And the response will be, you're not going to get in because I don't know you. I don't recognize you. I do not have any genuine relational experiences with you. And the response will be, oh, Jesus, you know who we are. We socialized together. We ate together. Uh, we, we were there when your teaching was being proclaimed. Oh, Jesus, there were times when I talked to you when I needed to pass that algebra test. Don't you remember that? There was that time when I talked to you when I needed to get into the college of choice. There was that occasion when I talked to you when I needed that promotion at work. You remember that time I talked to you when my spouse was having complications with our first pregnancy. Lord, you remember I talked to you that day that those twin towers fell because of those planes that crashed into them. Lord, you remember that day on that iron bowl when there was like one second left? I talked to you that Saturday. There have been times when I've talked to you, Lord. Listen, I was in church just as much as most. I was there in the street, in the synagogue. I was there when your teaching was being proclaimed. Oh, I wasn't listening, but who was? I I was in there, though. I've got to get some credit for that. At least I was there in attendance as much as some other people. So please, open the door. And Jesus will say, I don't know you. A second time, he will say, I don't know you. Apart from me, you evildoers. Jesus doesn't say this, but I think that the, the feeling in their minds at that moment will be, I thought we had more time. I didn't know the door was going to be slammed shut so soon. I thought I had more time. Time's a funny thing, isn't it? None of us seem to have enough of it, and yes, yet we waste all of it that we have. Time is, is funny, isn't it? One of, the, uh, one of the lies from the pit of hell is just wait. Just, 
Just make things right tomorrow, next week, next month. Look, you've got your whole life ahead of you. And while it's true that all of us know our birth date, not a one of us knows our death date. Nobody knows when that door is going to be shut. And we have no more opportunity. Today, the door's wide open. But we don't know when that door will be shut for any of us. Friend, I am not trying to scare you. I'm trying to spare you. I'm trying to spare you a lot of pain. I'm trying to spare you a lot of condemnation. I'm trying to spare you an eternity from hell. Jesus says that, listen, only a few are going to be saved, but those few who are saved, all of them are saved because of their explicit faith in Jesus Christ through their repentance of sin. Jesus says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the Old Testament prophets seated right there around the table. And you'll recognize there are people from the north, south, east, and west. You could say that what Jesus is implying is every tribe, every nation, every kindred, every tongue. That there'll be somebody from everywhere, all the four corners of the earth. There'll be individuals who are there. And the reason they're there is because their faith in Jesus Christ and they repented of their sin. On this day, this man asked a critical question. Are only a few going to be saved? And by the answer of Jesus, it becomes abundantly clear that yes, when you compare it to the billions upon billions upon billions of individuals who have walked this sod, only a few are going to be saved. But all of them, all of them who are saved, they come through faith in Jesus Christ through the repentance of sin. And then Jesus ends with that great gospel reversal. The last will be first, the first will be last. Somehow the gospel turns everything upside down and inside out. He exalts the lowly, he brings down the high and mighty. He comforts the afflicted, he afflicts the comfortable. You want to be first, you got to be last. You want to be great, you got to be least. You want to find your life, you've got to lose your life. It's a great reversal of the gospel. What Jesus is implying to his first century crowd, you think everybody's getting in? Only a few. Only a few. But every one of those few, they come by faith in Jesus Christ through the repentance of their sins. This morning, friend, if you are a baptized believer of the Lord, I invite you to come to this table. Because here we are reminded of our ultimate freedom. I invite you to come. I invite you to confess sin. I invite you to celebrate the freedom we have in Christ. Even if you are a baptized believer, still today, confess sin. That by the grace of the Holy Spirit, he brings to your attention. It was John MacArthur who said, that the life of the believer is a perpetual confession of sin. It's not that we just repent once, we continually repent. And MacArthur went on to say that, that the struggle in the life of the believer is that nagging reality that I should outgrow my sin, but I don't. Do you know that to be true? That nagging reality 
that you and I, we should outgrow our sin. (sighs) But we don't. So we come to this table. We come to this table to confess with godly grief. It brings repentance that leads to salvation. And when that happens, we come to celebrate because we were dead and now we're alive. We were lost and now we are found. We were captive and now we've been set free. I don't know about you. That's a reason to hoop, holler, and shout. That's a reason to celebrate because God has saved this prisoner. God has broken the shackles of my sin and now my sin has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. So if you're set free, you're invited to come to this table.